What is up, freaks? It's your boy Marty here to introduce you to this week's episode. Uh, Matt O'Dell and I sat down with Rodolfo Novak from CoinKite and had an incredible conversation while we were at the BitBlock Boom conference. Uh, Rodolfo is an incredible person who I was very pumped to meet for the first time while we were at that conference. We had an incredible conversation, far-ranging. talked about the history of CoinKite, the iterations it's gone through, uh, ham radios and airplanes. It was a fun one. Um, this week's episode is brought to you by the Cash App. You freaks already know all about them. And if you don't, here's some info. You know, the Cash App, they're they're helping you stack sats, they're helping you save money at merchants, and they do this in a really cool way. So you can buy and sell Bitcoin on the Cash App. On top of that, you can withdraw your coins to a personal wallet, not your keys, not your coins. Uh, and then you can send Bitcoin to your co- your Cash App uh, wallet when you need to, uh, if you have to dump sats which we, we never like to do, but sometimes people have to do that. You can do that on the Cash App, sending from a personal wallet to the Cash App. On top of that, their Boost program, you're going to get a personalized Boost card. You do it out with your signature. You make it all cool. You can put a little Bitcoin sign, a little lightning bolt, whatever fancies you, whatever tickles your fancy. There we go. That's what I should have said. Um, and yeah, so use the code StackingSats. Uh, when you're downloading the app, if you haven't already, you're going to get $5, and then $5 is going to go to Owls Across, an incredible charity uh, that that's based out of Chicago, helping uh, young boys and girls learn leadership skills through the sport of lacrosse. Uh, so again, stacking sats, you're gonna get five dollars. Al's is gonna get five dollars. Download the Cash App today, and guess what, freaks? We got a new sponsor on board with TFTC. Pumped to have these guys on. Uh, Casa, you already know all about them if you've been listening to this podcast for a while. We've had Jeremy Welch on before. Uh, Matt and I talk about their node setup and what they're doing uh, a lot on RHR. And now they're officially on board. So how confident are you in your security? What keeps you up at night with your uh, personal ops sec? Our friends at Casa have drummed up one of the smartest, most secure ways to hodl your Bitcoin. No KYC, no altcoins, no percentage fees on your Bitcoin. No one's standing between you and your keys. Uh, from Jamison Lop and one of the most trusted teams in Bitcoin security, uh, including the co-creator of the Glacier Protocol and Elena Vernova, founder of Trezor, uh, comes peace of mind with your stash. Uh, with the world's secure, one of the world's most secure multi-sigs. Use the promo code TFTC to get up to $250 off your Casa membership um, or hit their team up, uh, membership at team.casa for a free demo uh, or to put them to the test with your hardest offset questions. Let them know that we sent you. Uh, tell them that TFTC, you heard about them on TFTC and you're here to learn more. You're going to get up to $250 off. Again, that's membership at team.casa. If you want to email them directly, if you just want to check out the product, you can go to keys.casa and check out their whole process, what they're doing. Full suite. They have packages. All memberships come with a full set of hardware wallets for your multi-sig, plus the Casa node, Faraday bags, early access to future Casa products. And even for you serious hodlers who are thinking very long-term, very low time preference, they have diamond and platinum membership levels that net you 24-7 VIP service, dedicated client advisor, and custom onboarding and OPSEC plan. They're going to walk you through all of that. Uh, so again, shout out to Casa. Use the promo code TFTC or let them know that we sent you at membership at team.casa. Uh, and you're going to get up to $250 off your Casa membership. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I know Matt and I had uh, an incredible time sitting down with Rodolfo. What a legend. Do we need a TikTok? No, we do not need a TikTok. Are we getting a Twitch? We definitely need a Twitch, though. 
Uh, I haven't gamed in a while. Are you? I, I, I can't <laughs> play games, man. <laughs> you know, I suck at even solitary. <laughs> I would be down for a Twitch just to shoot the shit with the, uh, with the streamers. Or not the streamers, the people watching the stream. We need to get a young gun. Otherwise, otherwise we're screwed. We're not young guns anymore? <laughs> no. We're, we're old you know, timers in terms of video games. <laughs> Andrew Chow is, on, uh, is doing Twitch now. Like too. He's doing a cold review or whatever on, on Twitch for, really? for Bitcoin Core. Yeah. I don't know how long that's gonna last, but that's actually it. a good medium to do it by. Because what John Newberry is doing it in uh, IRC, correct? Uh, yes. Uh, for you freaks out there, we just hit record because we're having a fun conversation. Uh, <laughs> Matt O'Dell and I are in Dallas, sitting down with Rodolfo Novak from Cold Card. Uh, Quink, er, qu- what is the overarching company? Quinkite. Quinkite. Right? Quinkite. That's yeah. right. Yeah, that's so, the master umbrella corporation. Yes, Quinkite is the master umbrella cor- corporation. Uh, created Open Dime. Uh, which is great for nature's pocket, cold card, which is great for your cold storage. And uh, we've been having a fun time here in Dallas. We shut down the bar last night. How are you feeling? Um, I I hope I will speed up my brain again. (laughs) Uh, The southern uh, um, folks here are very nice. Everybody was very kind. And uh, we were fed (laughs) and given a lot of booze. (laughs) I didn't wind up eating last night. Yeah, you didn't eat that much. You like came over and you you only ate because Rodolfo ordered more meat. Thank you for ordering more meat. Oh man, I I was like still like hungry. I'm still I still haven't eaten. I'm starving. I'm ready for lunch. Intermittent fasting. It's a it's a lifestyle. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we just hit record. We're rolling into this. This is Tales from the Crypt. I guess we should get serious here. Uh, Rodolfo, how did you come to find Bitcoin? You're creating all this dope hardware. You're contributing to the space uh both with hardware and with memeware um how did you find bitcoin what drew you towards it and yeah let's start there yeah i mean i was watching congressional hearings and i heard about bitcoin and uh no i'm kidding (laughs) 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 um yeah i I, uh i think was peter uh bumping no in 2010 the slash dot article which I hardly, I really regret not saying something very stupid on the comments because they closed down that thread. Like, they, they, it took a while for them to close that thread. But, um, yeah, it was interesting thing. Kind of did not really think it was probably going to work just because of the scale that you need to get to for that thing to work. And uh, But to me, the, the main moment was when I made a first transaction. I was like, fuck. <laughs> like, when was that? What were you doing? Uh, no, it was just sending between like me and Yourself? Peter. Like we bought some, and we were just sending around, and we we're like, like seriously, like holy shit! Like I can literally send money from my computer, and the money is in the computer. <laughs> it's the like, files are in the computer. It, 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 yeah, like it, it's like it's in the computer, you know, for kids that can't read good, right? But <laughs> <laughs> it's like it, it, it's a paradigm shift. I mean, like never before the money was in the computer. I mean, it was in the bank, balance sheets and all that stuff, or, or it was the gold on your desk. And then every time you wanted to send money on, through the computer, somebody was clearing that or sort of being a middleman on that. Like, it was literally impossible to send money right. digitally. But with Bitcoin, it's like a digital bearer asset. It's the first like, yeah. actual digital bearer asset we've ever had. So when I saw that value there, like, it's just, I, I couldn't stop <laughs> thinking about this stuff. And what were you doing before? Um, I, I, at that time, I think 
I was working in the startup where we were making a time series data search engine. Uh, and uh, and uh, I had some other businesses going on and we were making some iPhone apps on the side. And I'm just always doing a bunch of stuff. Uh, and so you found Bitcoin. Did you drop everything right away or did it take you some time to, to dive in? Um, no, it, it was like I kind of carried that on the side. Uh, and then uh, we built a, a btclook.com. Uh, by the way, the block uh, data, <laughs> all the block data was about like, I think four or eight gigabytes at a time. So we built this very like early. very cool block explorer that had like bubbles and stuff. And like, it was like the whole block data was in RAM. So like it was Redis on a single computer you know, and you could transverse the whole thing. It was pretty awesome. Uh, we closed that project once we couldn't fit in, like, <laughs> a f affordable RAM uh, uh, server. Uh, that was... Uh, so we built that to sort of try to understand Bitcoin, right? Like, the best way to understand Bitcoin is to build a block explorer. <laughs> what do you learn when you're building a block explorer? Um, you, you start just understanding the, the concept of, like... Close it. You, you, you try to understand, like, the, the concept of, like, you know, the UTXOs and sort of, like how this whole thing actually works. Um, and then we're like, okay, this is cool. Um, let's, uh, it's money, so let's make payment terminals. <laughs> 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 and uh, that was a little bit early. And uh, so in 20, 2013, we launched the Bitcoin uh, payment terminals. Through CoinKite, right? Through CoinKite, exactly. And we made the, the, the first Bitcoin debit cards. Uh, I actually have one here. And you had like a, there was a wallet service there too, right? Yeah. So you, have you guys seen this? Like there was so Not in a while. So w we made the, the debit machines, but we couldn't trust really the wallets that were around. Like blockchain.info was garbage. And Why is the shit coin on the back? <laughs> <laughs> so back in the day, like there was no real alternative to doing like a, a faster settlement unless you accept a zero conf, right? There was no sort of solution yet. And my liability was real. So um, I actually thought that Litecoin was the fairly reasonable solution for uh, faster confirmations for sort of like retail. Mm -hmm. uh, so y you could use, you know, Bitcoin to actually do real settlements, but you could use like Litecoin for Coffee. little stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then... Uh, yeah, so then we we couldn't trust the wallet, so we built CoinKite.com as an actual wallet, and and then we built the multi-sig stuff, and and then all that stuff that came after that. What I thought was interesting about the CoinKite wallet was wasn't the the business model. It was a percentage fee, right? You charged. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, when we launched, we were charging I think three <laughs> percent. <laughs> <laughs> remaking the credit card exactly <laughs> no but like you know that's like how like silly my understandings of the economics of a company like that were right like i mean once you kind of get into it you understand the kind of cost that a, a payment sort of processor manager like that it, it's very expensive to maintain money safe and, and to actually help people do this stuff uh, and, you know, users don't like to pay for anything. 
So, but surprisingly enough, we got a lot of users paying us 3% for like a little while, and then we kept on dropping the fee, right? Like every month we would drop the fee to see if we get more users, and we would. So end up, we ended up changing the complete business model from like percentage to then like just monthly fees kind of thing, and, and, and like standard bank, right? Like you pay them to keep your money safe. Um, and we had the multi-sig stuff, which makes it harder for us to take our percentage too. <laughs> <laughs> because they could just not give us. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's interesting. Like you're learning about the economics of these systems on the way. So were you driven to, I mean, you were talking about like it's money in the computer earlier, but like were you f fascinated by money before Bitcoin economics? Um, or did you sort of come I, to understand no, the economics I came, after? No, I came from the tech side. Mm -hmm. uh, I learned economics later. <laughs> 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 the arts degree did not give me a, a very good economic education. <laughs> and um, so I came in line with like a story of Coinkai, like the iterations you, you, with the card. And so how did that lead to Open Dime? Like what, what so moved you to hardware from so cards? So we, we got to a point that we were holding like a lot of Bitcoin, like a lot. And we were very quiet in those days, like in, in social media and stuff, because, you know, we were kind of scared of like publicizing too much security concerns right and uh we sort of like decided to to close it i'm like this is not what i want to do in my life i don't want to hold people's bags it's a pain in the ass and uh we we closed it down dispersed all the funds within like i think three four weeks um and then i'm like okay uh let's just go back to hardware just do hardware because we had built the hsms to run CoinKite. For the actual terminal thing too, right? Yes, we built the terminals too. We essentially, every time we sort of like come up with something, we build the thing to support it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, so I wanted to build the complete opposite of CoinKite.com, like the literal opposite. And, and OpenDime is the ultimate point solution as opposed to, you know, a connected solution, right? Um, so it, it took us a little while. We, we played with like metal bars. We played with like aluminum folding things and uh, paper and all kinds of stuff. And like, but we, we couldn't like until sort of um, we sorted out that, you know, no, like the user doesn't know the private key and we need a safe way of doing that. Uh, and we also need to appease all the cypherpunks we're going to say that we know the private key. So... We figured out, hey, you know, let's get the user to initiate the device, give some entropy from themselves into the device, and then we can prove that we don't know the private key, um, and the user can prove that he doesn't know the, the private key, and the receiver can verify all that too. Uh, and that's sort of like, that's, that's how OpenDime happened. Let, let's unpack this a little bit, because I think it's pretty cool how you do the OpenDime entropy. Um, like uh, so, so, the idea is that you you basically drag a file onto the open dime, and then that's used as the entropy, like a user provided file, right? Exactly. So it's just random data. Correct? It's just random data. Okay. But because you know, in that sort of mindset of doing the complete opposite of what we're doing before, it's like we never want to support an app, a website, or like a, a API ever again. <laughs> <laughs> we just we don't want to build apps. Period. And uh, so, so Open Dime was birthed out of laziness, almost. Ah, uh, pretty much. <laughs> like all good things, right? Um, you shouldn't say laziness. 
But I think no, it's interesting. Because, like, <laughs> CoinKite, you guys have basically, you went through the, the same process that almost everyone who enters Bitcoin goes through, right? Which is like, oh, this is cool. Like, merchants should use this. This is going to be like a merchant processing thing. Oh, no, let's, the business model here is to, to hold people's Bitcoin for yep. them, right? And then you realize there's not really much money to be made. There's a fucking headache. And then you come all the way full circle to user controls their own keys. We just make the hardware for them and we don't have to touch any of that. Exactly. Bitcoin hates on middlemans. So trying to be a middleman in Bitcoin, you're going to have to pay it somehow, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you're going to pay through security concerns and then there is all the costs around that. Uh, it's very tricky. And uh, everybody eventually finds that out. Unless you're an institution, right? So if we're talking about institutional uh, holdings for Bitcoin. Now, you want to defer the liability to somebody else, right? Because you need to cover your ass. Mm -hmm. That's what like investment funds, whatever, will do. They will find some other company to hold the bag and put insurance on it, so that they can tell their board, "Look, you know, it's all insured. We check the boxes." Exactly. Yeah. And so obviously, this is complete opposite of of what you're pushing with the hardware, where users take control of their own yep. keys and what's fascinating to me about the hardware that you've produced is just how transparent and open it is and that's actually a topic that we talk about a lot on rabbit hole recap is the fickleness of hardware wallets in particular and you can give advice on a hardware wallet one day and then six months later it's bad advice and <laughs> so how does that factor into what you guys are building so i mean so we closed on Quinkite. we needed something for ourselves right and and i was fairly unsatisfied i think it's the best most polite way to put it <laughs> about uh, the current available solutions um, because, you know, we, we do have a background in hardware, so we sort of understood, like, what was missing and what we wanted to do. Uh, so we we made it. <laughs> so we made CodeCard, uh, which sort of sits... It, it solves a bit of that problem. Right? So security is always a, a set of trade-offs, right? And hardware, you also have the trade-off in terms of being able to manufacture it. Mm -hmm. It's not just come up with some idea for an app and make it, right? Like you also need to find the economics to manufacture it. You need to make sure the parts that you want are available to you. Um, and, and and so yeah, it gets, it's like, it's fairly tricky, right? It's like a puzzle you have to put together. Emma. Yeah. So, you know, there was one solution that sort of like was open source, the fairly old one. And, uh, but, but, you know, there's no physical security whatsoever on it. Uh, and, and I noticed the shift in their marketing, which used to be secure, to now is sort of like, oh, there's no such thing as security. <laughs> We're talking about the Trezor, right? I, I, you know, I, I'm not going to name competitors. <laughs> Everybody knows which wallets are what. Um, yeah. And then the other one, it's like, you know, those guys are actually pros. Um, you know, maybe their software is not like what people love, but, you know, the actual hardware is fairly safe. Uh, it's fairly good, and and it's a, it's a very old way of doing security, right? You have a secure element, and you put all the stuff in it, but the problem is it needs to be closed source because those vendors are not going to let you open source it. Yes. So let's uh, expound upon the secure enclave. Like, what is it exactly? How does it work so in the device? Imagine like this, right? So you have a standard MCU, like one of them, and this MCU was just designed to sort of like, you know, work on your toaster, you know, work your microwave, you know, do things like that. I mean, 
nowadays we're sort of starting to care about security in the swings, but you know, these this, this chips were not designed to do any security, right? So you can peel it very easily, you can throw radio at it and make it do things that it's not supposed to, which is one of the attacks. Um, you can read its power to read its calculations. So the thing essentially is just sort of like not designed to keep anything s safe. Uh, and then a secure enclave or secure uh, element, what it does is it has like, say, uh, you, you have like uh, layers, actual physical layers on it that prevent you from doing attacks of peeling very easily. Anything is doable, but the cost to attack that is substantially higher and you can destroy it in the process too. So you, you protect the power reading so you can't, so it doesn't leak memory, uh, it, sorry, it doesn't leak uh, any calculations through the power. Uh, you would have like uh, monotonic counters. Uh, these are essentially one-way counters. They're verifiable, and it's pretty cool because, for example, when you when you do your math for pin attempts, for example, right? Like you can't cheat that because it's inside the monotonic counter, um, and that's how you keep the data safe. Um, and then you will um, you prevent you from 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 doing the radio stuff on it. Um, not everything, but some of it. Point is, it's designed to do this stuff. Now the problem is, they also have closed source, uh, for example, crypto accelerators, right? Uh, that means you don't have to actually like use a function, like a, a code function, to say, uh, do a cryptographic calculation. You use the actual hardware that already has the curve in it, and, and it'll do for you, right? Uh, <clears throat> I don't believe any have any secure element at the moment have a Bitcoin curve on them. Uh, but you can use those for other kinds of encryptions that you would do in a device like that. Um, but the problem is, when you do Bitcoin, um, you really want the code that does Bitcoin calculations to be open, right? Other parts of it, not as important. Um, so essentially, in Bitcoin, we were presented with two, these two options, right? The fully closed, the fully open. They both extreme sets of trade-offs, right? So we decided to sort of build something in the middle. Uh, what we did was we used a general purpose MCU that's not designed for security, even though ours has a firewall on it, I wouldn't trust with my life, um, to, do, to do the open sort of calculations that we need, right? And then we use a very dumb, but very secure, secure element just to, se to keep seed secure. Uh, it also comes with a TRNG, which is a true random number uh, generator that's verified by, say, NIST kind of thing. Uh, so you get those features for free, and we don't use any of its crypto to do Bitcoin stuff. So it's separated. Exactly. It's separate. Mm -hmm. However... Uh, we did convince the manufacturer to let us put the spec out of that chip, and the firmware that we load on that chip is also open source. Okay. And there is, by the way, there is no such thing as open source chips. That's a, a, a BS marketing. Uh, essentially, all the chips you buy are closed source. Uh, it's just that you can show that the, the code you're running on those chips is open source. Um, there is a few projects out there trying to do open source micros and stuff, but uh, in my opinion, it's hopeless. Uh, be just the patent stuff, patenting hardware is a real thing, right? Like software, people get more away with stuff, but good luck trying to, 
to, to break those patents or to, to do stuff around it. And it also costs, right? To make a, a micro would cost, you know, depending on like something simple that's not even secure, you know, costs you, you know, $10 million. A and then what, are you, you're still going to end up with something that all the same people use. So now you don't have any diversity, you, you know, <laughs> it's a problem. Yeah. It's, no, it's, it's a fascinating problem. One that, Specifically speaking of hardware wallets and, and leaking data and their security in particular, it's. Do you think it's close to being solved at all, or will it ever be solved? Or no, you'll never be solved because security is always going to be a set of trade-offs. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think we can still improve the UX on like Bitcoin security substantially. Um, but uh, and you know it's possible that some of these manufacturers that eventually do uh, chips that can do a little bit better for Bitcoin, for our needs. Um, I mean, multi-sig is interesting here, right? Because you can combine hardware that takes different trade-offs yes. and you kind of cover your ass in all the different, uh, in, in most of the different threat vectors, right? Yeah, so multi-sig is tricky. Um, I think the issue, like one of the main issues with, with with Bitcoin security is that most people screw themselves out of their money than getting hacked. So every time you increase complexity on, on something that like, you know, sort of your last resort thing or whatever, it gets very, it's very dangerous. Like you can, you can lose your money because you, you don't have the redeem script because multi-sig now, it's essentially... I guess the, the simplest way you could say is like it's kind of like it's not Bitcoin anymore. It's like you're, you're creating extra complexity on the Bitcoin signing of that. Uh, and then you're just telling the network that you signed the transaction, right? And it's valid. But the scripts for the multi-sig setup are very, uh, uh, very custom. I mean, they're made by the people who, who made the wallet, right? And, and those, there's no standards on that. I mean, there's some, but it's not like something that you know, so people can screw themselves that way. Uh, so every time you're making your multi-sig setup, make sure you also have a backup of your redeem script. <laughs> Otherwise, you're screwed. It's very good advice. And now imagine like you die, right? And then your family has you know this box under you know some mountain. Mountain, <laughs> you know they take it out. It's like you know my crazy cuckoo. You know, husband left me this box with like <laughs> these devices that all look ridiculous. <laughs> what are all these calculators doing? Exactly, here? right? And like, how do I redeem this stuff? Or like, how do I take the money out? Uh, and then you're going to have to what, use a consultant that might rob you. You know, like, it gets very tricky. So, simplicity goes a long way. I think that you should, you should only increase the complexity of, set, of your setup as you learn enough to do it. Right. So like go as far as you personally can and feel comfortable and then slowly increase that. Right. It's not just like a smart person goes on some podcast or whatever and sort of like says, oh, dude, you know, like there is all these problems. You know, maybe you should, you know, use it this way or that way. Um, that's great. But that person has extreme understanding <laughs> of the, the trade offs and the setup. Yeah. Exactly. It's uh, that's what I think. 
That's why I love having Matt O'Dell as a co-host here, because he helps handhold me through this stuff. He's, uh, you're definitely more adept at at setting this stuff up than I am. And but it is like again, like going back to the fact of trying to educate people about this stuff. It is hard. It's like it's, it's super so intimidating. Nuanced. It is very intimidating. Yeah, I, I, I get I get anxious almost. Yeah, no, it, it's uh, this stuff is not easy. Like I mean, and you know, like it's there's a reason why you know Ethereum devs build JavaScript crap. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Because like that's easy. <laughs> you know, like building hardware stuff and like actually working through these problems, it's not easy. So what's what's the brainstorming of coming up with these solutions? Like, are you like whiteboarding it, or are you just like deep in thought? In you the know, woods? we have our uh, Scrum morning meetings. You know, no, <laughs> 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 no, we we normally just sort of like you know uh, we either meet like downtown or like in Toronto or like because we both work from home and uh, we normally just Skype or whatever and uh, you know we chat about things we want to make we have like piles and piles of ideas and we have like we write them down like in this documents we just keep on listing listing them and like sometimes we sort of investigate them slightly more like further to see if they're like economically viable because it'll be harder like you, you have to think like okay how much is this gonna cost how much it's gonna cost to make and then like what are the hidden costs in this you know shipping of that and all that all that stuff um <laughs> but oftentimes we actually make the stuff at least one-offs kind of thing so like i have like boxes <laughs> in my basement of like crap we played with or tried to do <laughs> So, like, how many how many iterations? Have it you depends. Gone I mean, like, Open Dime, like, we had a lot of iterations. The, it's kind of funny, but the first version of the Open Dime was actually something that more resembles the cold card. Really? Yeah, we had a screen on it. We had a, a QR a camera on it. Uh, it was going to be sort of this more harder wallet thing, but then we sort of gave up that for a while, and then sort of became what it is. Um, yeah, I, I mean. It's uh, you you go through a lot of iterations uh, until you sort of sort out the, especially for the manufacturing. And when you have epiphanies about like what's going to work and what's not, like how does that happen? Is it happen through use, or are you like somewhere random and you're like, ah, oh, this is what I need to do? Yeah, it's yeah, and oftentimes it's it's really solving your own problems. It's like, god damn it, I can't do this. Okay, can <laughs> we make this? <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I think that the cold card is the best wallet on the market right now i think it was an absolute game changer it was a huge step improvement um from like the existing hardware wallets um but nothing's perfect right so as the creator of the cold card wallet what do you think are the major weaknesses that it has right now so there is there is a known attack vector that uh security researcher exploited we wrote a blog post about it in the first first version uh we improved the so we made it much harder uh, for him to to get to the secure element bus, um, so essentially what he could do is you could, you could, you could try to ROM dump the MCU, and then unencrypt some stuff, and then take the pairing secret that you need to talk to the secure element, and then you can desolder the secure element out, uh, put it in a little rig that reads those, but you could break it in the process of doing that too. And then once you do that, you can try to brute force the pin. Um, but now we have we have a better bus there, so we can't attach wires to it. And we also uh, cover now the secure element of epoxy on this version. Okay. 
Um, so the thing is, there is, even with a secure element, like, uh, like the ultimate sort of secure element, right? There is still, like, the time is ticking if somebody has physical control of it, right? So um, I, I'd say, like, you know, one week, it, it's, a, it's pretty doable with most secure elements. You can send to the right facility. They'll peel it. They'll do whatever. Uh, you know, done. Mm -hmm. uh, now, um, with, uh, with the next version of code card, uh, we're, we're upgrading the SCE, the, the secure element to the next version of it. Um, we plan on storing the stuff inside the SCE encrypted as well, uh, because there's going to be more room. <laughs> so that, so even if you dump that, you're not going to be able to know what's inside. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, so like essentially like the idea with security is always security in depth, right? Like so you keep on making the attacker spend more money. Mm -hmm. Right? So we make the money bags, that that's what the bag that the cold card comes in, you know, it costs for them to make a fake bag, mm -hmm. right? And then we add the 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 serial number, so the serial number is also in the bag and inside the secure element so they can't just use any bag, mm -hmm. right? And then we use the clear cases and the the case you can actually inspect the device. And then the case is also sealed, so you'd have to break the case to change something inside. And then on top of that, we do the, the you have the two words in between, the first part of the pin and the second part of the pin. So somebody did manage to do a fairly advanced attack to replace, uh, to do, try to fish your pin out. It wouldn't you. even have to be that advanced, right? They could just switch the device. Exactly, right? But they'd have to make a, one that would look fairly similar, right? right? And and then the retrieval of that information is hard, too. It'd have to have radio on it or something. Um, but then, you know, you stop because the pin is going to show you the words. It's not there. It's, this is fairly old anti-phishing tactic, right? Like, remember, like, some banks used to actually put a picture that you have to recognize before you put your password yes. and stuff? Yes. Yep. So. Mine was um, an apple. Yep. And then you can load your own firmware, uh, and, and you, you blast it, you sign it with your PIN. So, you, you know, keep on increasing the cost, and uh, making the competition sweat is fun, too. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, and then, like, there's also, like, weird ways through which your uh, privacy and security can be compromised. And, like, the original cold card, right, it was, like, the buttons, like, you could see if you are putting your PIN in, and, like, the buttons were wearing down, you'd, <laughs> you'd be able to sort of be like, yep. all right, these four numbers are part of the PIN some combination of this and it's like something that maybe most people don't think about but it's like there's small things like that factor yep. into this it, it's you know there's there's no perfect solution right uh and at the end of the day um somebody can sort of still put a gun to your head and say give me right give it to me exactly it over uh and that's when you use your brick me pin and you say i don't have it anymore <laughs> shoot me i went boating last week dude you caught me at a bad time uh that's so this is a question I have. Like, I don't like this is a well-known fact on this show. I don't like moving Bitcoin at all. Um, That's the best sort of solution for it, right? <laughs> just just don't, don't move it, right? <laughs> but so, what would you recommend? Like, as you're putting out newer iterations of the cold card and newer versions, uh, do you recommend people move their storage to yeah. new stuff? So, so, the, but the way we do it is you don't have to move the coins, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just. You just move the seed. Yeah. We actually preferably use the encrypted backup solution and then, you know, restore. Yeah, just wipe your, your current. SD card. Exactly. Wipe Do your it. current device. Exactly. No, you put your tin foil hat properly, your tin foil outfit, tin foil underwear, <laughs> you know. You get in your Faraday cage. If you're Faraday tent, <laughs> you know, you can buy those. 
and uh, you, you know you, you transfer the seed from one to the other, and then you know you take your old cold car to the range, and you show a good time. <laughs> so you do recommend as new cold cars come out, people port their seeds yeah. to the new one. Yeah. Like, and the thing is, I, I find that like around the hundred dollar price point, right? Uh, it's fairly like reasonable for you to 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 sort of upgrade to to the newest and greatest because. You know, you're trying to hold like substantial money, uh, and you know, like just look at your banking fees. I mean, like you know, like how much a bank takes from you to do this stuff, and then you have this little device that costs a hundred bucks that you have your wealth on. You know, like it's like yeah, upgrade it. You know, and also by buying stuff, you make us sort of validate and sort of. Uh, uh, put the time and the money to keep on improving it right it's like because we're not charging a membership right so if you want upgrades it's like buy the newer stuff so we can keep on making the upgrades right or, mm -hmm. or the even the firmware stuff um yeah yeah it's good if I, it makes makes sense but it is like I mean, I have eight cold cards right now. Yeah, exactly. I think it's like kind of an issue. I kind of have a problem. And then I saw that you were you you put epoxy on them now. Now I just want to get more. That's right. Yeah, you, you, serial hoarder over here. Whether it's Bitcoin, cold cards, URLs, uh, whatever I, it may I be. I love my hardware too. Though. <laughs> it's uh, it's fun to play these little devices. I mean, like uh, it's, it's so kind of weird. <laughs> That's what I, I'm actually banking on like a collection of hardware, making me some satoshis in the future. Yeah, like the twenty-one computer, uh, original Trezor and yeah. stuff like that. And I, and I think like the most important security thing you could ever do is privacy. Just don't talk about it. No, or like even worse, like don't ever connect like the device to anything that's connected to the internet, right? So like, because you know if your hardware wallet vendor forces you to connect to their servers to activate the wallet you're essentially saying hey this is my serial number you know i know you promised not to keep the information but the information is out oh yeah let's talk about that because i mean the out of the three big hardware wallet vendors you being one of them you're the only guys that like the other hardware wallets work with other software but you're the only guys who don't have your own software. You've just chosen to opt out of that situation That's in the right. first place, right? Like if you're connecting through like a Ledger or a Trezor through their their built-in software, their web wallet or, or Ledger Live now has like a separate app that they use. Um, like everything is getting sent to their servers. No, it's privacy, bad privacy by default, which I don't subscribe to. It's terrible. Um, you know, both those wallets can be used with uh with like say electrum or, or you know now hwi but if you have to activate the device and most people are lazy they're going to just use the web stuff anyways it's like kind of like what's the point yeah i mean you know that was the main thing behind like making a device that doesn't need to be connected to a computer right like you just use the micro steve you, you can connect it right if you wanted to yeah or especially maybe it's your warm wallet you know, your warm wallet sits on your desk, it's connected, who cares, right? But for real hodling, like, you know, the stuff should be done cold, you know, because again, there is no perfect solution. So you don't know if there is some radio, like attack now, some side channel attack that's new and great and actually works and it works remote. Um, so the best thing you can do is just opt out. <laughs> so, I mean, on that tangent, 
one of the things I thought was really cool about the cold card is that you you use the SD card as like a like a ferry. You like you're you're moving data back and forth between the computer, um, but there is a privacy risk there, right? Because you have this the skeleton wallet that you're moving onto your computer. If someone gets access to that skeleton wallet, um, then yeah. they have all your addresses, yes. all your past and future addresses. Yes. Right? Uh, yeah, depends on how you set up, but yes. So. And is that that's unavoidable, right? Like, how um, do you avoid ish. that? No ish. So, because what you could do is you could have you can have a, a, a an air gap computer, right? Like a laptop that you sort of like drilled out the microphones and you did your proper sanitation of the laptop, um, and you have the laptop have the actual wallet. So, like, you have Electrum on it, you have your full node on it, or something, um, and. On that laptop, you you do the you create the transactions, right, and then uh, you sign it with the code card, and then you broadcast it on another computer. Right, right, right. right? That's the best way to do it. Exactly. So, so it's not very user friendly. Exactly, and and because if you are using your own node, um, and you have say Electrum pointed to it, right, uh, you're not broadcasting to anybody your addresses, so you you have way more privacy that way. Um, and then you can also use, say, Wasabi to anonymize your stuff. Um, but yeah, again, it's one of those things, right? Like you have to pick your trade-offs. And I think like one thing that maybe it's not talked enough uh, is like fund segregation. Like you know, create your your cold pile one, cold pile two, your warm one, your warm two, you know, your hot, you know, and then do coin selection, right? Like select which UTXO you're going to use to send money out. Um, and with those very basic things that, you know, those are available to pretty much any normal user as opposed to super complicated stuff, uh, you already do a great job of privacy, right? Just not commingling stuff. Because, you know, a bad guy can only take away what he knows he can take away, right? <laughs> if he doesn't know he exists, like, he can't take away. Yeah, no, it's... Again, the nuance to all this is, I don't want to say perplexing, it's like, it's daunting. It's very daunting, the nuance to it. And So do you see this nuance getting better over time, or do you think um, this is the price we have to pay for this? this yeah, it's asset? a little bit the price. You know, it's kind of like, buddy, you want to be your own bank? Toughen up. Yeah. You know, like, I see Bitcoin as like Wells Fargo crossing U.S. with shotguns. You know, like, it, it really is <laughs> like... That's being your own bank. Yeah, being your own bank will never be the easiest. No, it will never be as easy. Like, there is a cost. And remember, right? Like, there's all these institutions that started by offering services to keep your stuff safe. I mean, they kind of screw up through the through the way <laughs> through the years. <laughs> but uh, but it, you know, this cost that you used to defer to somebody else now is on you, right? Um, and and education really is everything. Um, it's uh, it's one of my yeah, it's one of my thought experiments. I guess like, are people willing to learn? Will they be willing to learn? And I mean, it's we're at the Bitblock Boom conference, and uh, Bitstein just went on a great tear uh, about meme warfare. But like, lowering time preference was part of it. And does Bitcoin fix everything? The fact like if you're if you're thinking about Bitcoin and saving money for the future, then you're more inclined to learn about how to secure it, and then you just become smarter and by knowing how to use more stuff like does bitcoin fix everything does it create the incentive to learn more 
I'm asking you. You're asking me? Yeah, I don't know. I, just I mean, I, I, it's, it's, it obviously doesn't literally fix everything, but it fixes a lot of things, <laughs> and it, it helps set up a better mindset to life in general. Um, and I, I mean, in terms of Bitcoin storage, like the longer you're in Bitcoin, the more Bitcoin you hold, like the, the more you have to learn. So you're compelled, you're compelled to learn. Um, in terms of like simplicity, like, like really the path to go to as simple and as secure as possible is, is probably through the creation of, of solid hardware, right? So the way I like to say it's like see passwords, right? Like for websites and things, it's still all crap, right? We still haven't even solved that problem. I mean, look at even YubiKey got owned and disastrous situation. So like Bluetooth just got owned too. It's, 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 this is, this is, I don't think this is a, like a, a fully solvable problem. Um, and, and I think that, you know, we are fortunate that we get to just do Bitcoin all day. So we get to also know all this stuff. Right. But like, you know, your average no coiner goes and buys a few coins. Of course he, he's going to keep it on, on uh, delete Coinbase. Um, or Cash App, um, and shout out Cash App. Yeah, no, it, it's and 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 you kind of should. Initially, I, I think, I think we can't like force, and we shouldn't force people to go to punch above their weight until they're ready, because you know their stuff depends on it, right? Like, I mean, if we keep on telling people to just do more complicated stuff without like getting them there. They're going to screw themselves out of their, their money. <laughs> That's why, like, uh, shout out to Corey Clipston coming out with giving Bitcoin, where you give somebody Bitcoin, but for them to access it, they have to go through the process of learning what a private public key pair is, what a private key is, how to secure it, how to secure a seed phrase. And then once you've proved that you have at least a base knowledge, then you can get the UTXOs sent to you. Yeah, it's, and I think we'll, we'll get better. I think, like, because I don't, I don't think it's fixable, like fully fixable, but I, it doesn't mean it won't get much better. Yeah, and the UX, again, like the UX around it, like services like that, where it's like, all right, you want to hold Bitcoin? Here, here's a beginner's guide to learning what you're going to need to know when you're custody, excuse me, custodying your own stuff. I think the issue is like the incentives are not there for the UX stuff. Like they really aren't. I mean, you know, you, you look at even Bitcoin. Core. Aren't they though? No, make it you make it easier for people to hold Bitcoin. Therefore, yeah, no, the sure. The circular loop. economy, yeah, like I, I, that in that I agree. But because it's not directly related to the UX, um, I, I think the incentives are simply not there. Because otherwise, we would already have seen. It's been ten years. <laughs> We've already we would be seeing like better, easier to use, and we see that on the on the custodial stuff. And on the like the the closed source stuff, because then the incentive is there. The business model isn't really there. there is, right? Exactly, there's no business model for you to keep a wallet. Y you know, right now, I mean, it's essentially like a lot of, you know, on the sort of like on the cold side, on the security side, or on like on the consensus side. Yes, the incentive is there for you to keep Bitcoin going, so your bag keeps on going too, right? But on the more user level, there really is no incentive for somebody to put all the time doing the UX, UI for some, you know, some security setup uh, because, you know what, he's not going to get paid. It's going to be, and, and you know what, donation. Just forked or something. Exactly. Donation wear has limits, right? Mm -hmm. uh, eventually, like, 
people want to get paid or and they should like i mean you should make money out of the stuff you make no i wholeheartedly agree and that's like the fat that's actually something i've been thinking a lot about lately is like people trying to come to gr- or not being able to come to grips that this is all open source software and you should be contributing to that open source effort and by doing that you're sharing your work with the world and again it can be forked and stuff like that and i do think there's a mental block not a mental block but a lot of people are trying to monetize this stuff and it's like oh you can open source it and it's it's again i i I just find like there's this like weird area we find ourselves in 10 years in where people are trying to monetize the open source nature of it and it's not easy it's not maybe it's not possible and well, it, how I do mean, you how do you break I mean look at that? the asymmetry right even on coinkite.com you know you had people like keeping millions millions worth of bitcoin right and like paying us say 30 bucks a month <laughs> <laughs> it's like and that was already on the higher account kind of stuff and like and complaining it's like, buddy, you're paying me thirty million, sorry, thirty dollars a month to do, you know, this. Now, if your institution, you go pay BitGo, and BitGo had to change their business model too. They ch- they charged a basis point or whatever on transactions, because there really is no other way. Is like, that what their business model is now? I think it is. I, I don't know. I, the last time I checked was probably a couple of years yeah, ago. Yeah, I don't really pay attention to that. Uh, I think they, yeah, they they charge like percentage essentially the interesting one is i would say like the reverse of that is that both wasabi and samurai are kind of figuring out a way to to take a profit off of the privacy aspect right i mean like wasabi is probably the most user-friendly software wallet we've had like the best ux i mean it still needs a long way to go but like they're making a decent sized profit like you can track like how much they're making from the mixing services yeah i but see that's a value add service Mm-hmm. Right, that's not the the wallet itself, right? So now you're just making that service subsidize the wallet, right? But eventually, you know, maybe not. Maybe they would just keep on and go because it's fun. But the incentive for them is going to be to offer just a mixing service as it gets more complicated, more people, more support, and all this stuff. Like, look at join markets, right? You can make money on join markets by just being a maker exactly right. market making right mm-hmm. so but there is no ui there is nothing right that's the service right there uh, so you know it is tricky uh maybe on the phone is a little different with samurai for example right because now the stuff is on the phone uh so you need that wallet that ui on the phone so you force them to keep on improving the ui on the phone so that they can make their money from the mix. It's like a funnel into their, you know, they, they also like they sell a node and then they, they have the, the app and everything and all of it funnels into their value add services yep. while the whole thing is still open source. And it's harder to fork out something like that because there's such a network effect in terms of liquidity and, and whatnot. Exactly. I mean, I feel like that's kind of got to be to to bring the most security and sovereignty to like the average person. Like you kind of need like a full stack of 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 hardware and and software where like they're like handheld kind of through the whole process yeah i think i i still think uh, i keep on trying to convince adam back to just uh uh make a sort of set up uh, a set-top box you know for the satellite so like you know you have this box that's what i want you know like it's like it has ethernet on it it's connected to the internet. It also has a cell light in the roof. It has hard drive on it. It has like decent process. So it's essentially running a full node, 
taking the feed from the satellite for like extra checking or in case you lose the internet uh and then like that's your home node everybody has a home node it's connecting to the satellite you know and then it's running maybe electrum uh electrum uh, private server on it or something and then you have your laptop that connects your own node and and you know you know it's self-validation really if you're not self-validating you're not doing bitcoin <laughs> and uh and then you know like you can use this laptop for you to do the signing to create the psbt transactions right um but like this is a huge paradigm shift for the average consumer world to move into right it's gonna take a long time yeah oh a, a very long time and i'm happy you brought up the satellites because that's just like an, another interesting part of bitcoin it's like hey uh yeah you can send transactions via the internet which the layman probably doesn't even understand to begin with. And it's like, oh, yeah, you can actually send transactions via satellite as well. And this is something I love about you is that you're fascinated with ham radio and you sent private keys via ham radio to Sam Patterson, correct? And yeah, I sent I sent uh, to Sam. It was a private key. Uh, <laughs> it was a three-word yeah, brain said, wallet. Yeah. <laughs> but I did send the salt over a different channel, I think. I was going to, and then I didn't. Anyways... Uh, and then I, I sent, uh, then I, I sent, I think Elaine a transaction for her to broadcast for me, uh, and then we sent a light. We did a lightning transaction too. Um, it's uh, it's kind of a weird like ham is like the most useless and most useful hobby you ever have. How did you get into it? Uh, Peter had a license, I and I, I used to like your partner have, Peter. Yeah. I used to have uh, like a, a boat license back in Brazil and I had like, you know, radios and stuff. I've always sort of been into radios, uh, but I decided to actually get a license so I could do more interesting stuff. Um, you know, it's an unfortunate place where most of the hams are like boot leakers. Uh, boot leakers? Boot leakers, yeah. yeah. They're very afraid of losing the spectrum. You know, just so yeah. So what's, let's talk about. It. So what's the deal? You have to get a license to send messages on a certain frequency. Yeah. Okay. And and essentially, like in most countries, uh, hams are actually allocated uh, a decent chunk of spectrum on pretty much every band, like including bands for cell phones and all this. Like we have bands and almost everything, all the way to like. 10 giga gigahertz kind of thing it's pretty that's, crazy that's what uh it was crazy learning from richard myers who's working on yep. uh the mesh network why can't why is it escaping me right now it's just like um go lot 49 yeah lot 49 go tana tx tana and that and conceptually it's like crazy to think they're just like different frequencies of radio waves that are all around us at all times that you can connect to and send messages from and how the hell does that become license like a license thing you're talking about well, physics yeah well so like you know, like before there was like commercial, military or state radio, there was it was actually like amateur people talking to each other, like Marconi kind of deal. Right. Uh, and y you can do a lot of damage <laughs> with, with like uh, radio stuff. Right. You have a lot of power. You could like stop flights. Like <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Like you could you could jam flights like the, the radio. Uh, on how, all this stuff. How would like, you do that? Would you jam just their communication tools? Yeah, you, you can. You could totally do it. Uh, you know, they have very sophisticated tools to find you and then take you to jail. But but you could cause, like, some damage. Kind of like pe how people can nowadays drive a drone into an airplane, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, but so, 
so that's sort of like where it came from, right? Like this idea that like, you know, at least we want to know the people doing this stuff. We want to make sure they, they're like reasonably Good trained. Yeah. No, but they're reasonably trained because you don't want somebody just pressing transmit, right? Like you want to make sure they know like not to encroach on this or on that, that kind of stuff. Um, not a huge fan personally of licensing systems, but this one is tricky because uh, there is a lot of externality, right? Um, but yeah, so I just and then there is all the people who do like like pirate radios and all kinds of stuff. Like radio is pretty cool. I I recommend getting a license because you learn the actual tech. It's not like a a stupid like test. Like you have to actually understand the stuff mm -hmm. to take the test. So you, and you, and and that process to study to the test, you actually learn the stuff. Do you think it's a more efficient means of communication? Um, so the cool thing about radio is it doesn't matter which frequency you're in, you're speeding, you're sending stuff at the speed of light, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? And and if you're talking on the lower bands that have lower bandwidth, they actually bounce on the ionosphere and you can get them to go across the earth, like very little power. That's what uh, Zabo and Elaine are working on, right? I, I don't know if they're actually working on that, but no, that, they propose it's, it. it's not a... Uh, None of the stuff is new to radio people. <laughs> Let's put it this way: like, it, it's like yeah, kind of new to Bitcoin. Being able to send Bitcoin transactions. Yeah, I mean that's already radius. possible. Like, yeah. there's that's 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 what I did with Sam mm -hmm. Patterson, right? Yeah. Like, I, with Elaine too. Essentially, yeah. we use lower bands and get them to bounce off the ion sphere and get to the other side because the Earth is round, mm -hmm. right? So, is this if you send? Are something, you sure? Yeah, I know. Hey, right? don't say controversial stuff on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's gonna be great! We're gonna get the flat earthers to to hate on no, us. I have a flat earther uh, fan who's always in my inbox. Whenever uh, on the bent, whenever he says like around the globe or something like that, he always gets a response from the oh, flat earther. Oh, that's amazing! <laughs> so like, it, it, you know, like so, so the radio waves won't go straight on the flat Earth. Um, so you have to get them to bounce back, right? And higher frequencies get absorbed. So they fade away, right, but the lower ones kind of come back. The flat Earth conspiracy has just been debunked. You can prove well, it with radio sorry. waves. Sorry, freaks. <laughs> this is now a Bitcoin podcast. We're no longer a flat Earth podcast. Yeah, it'd be pretty weird how, like, the physics of a flat Earth. Yeah, like, what's, like, I mean, no, it's just, like, because gravity makes if you believe in planet, and that's kind of roundy. <laughs> you should just skip flat Earth and go straight to simulation. Like, if you believe yeah. in that flat Earth. I'm okay. Like, you know, if you want to say we're in a simulation and the Earth is flat, fine. I, yeah. I, I can accept that. Yeah. Um, we got, a, got off on a little bit of tangent here. Um, I guess what's, what's exciting you right now in the hardware space and Bitcoin in particular? So, I mean, we're, we're pretty pumped about sort of working on the next version because I do want to close some some of the trade-off loops there um we we might make another block clock um Ooh, let's talk about the block clock <laughs> how did you make that so bitcoin was going to be 10 years old right and, and i wanted to make like a more artistic object that represented bitcoin right it had to be like something that made a noise and sort of like very very physical to sort of represent this thing that's completely not physical yeah, almost <laughs> analog right? exactly the analog of it. it and you know we all care about the bitcoin price uh even though we say we don't and and i like seeing to me at least it's, it's a very like zen thing to just look at bitcoin happening 
So like I, I like to see like how long since the last block and like in which block height we're in kind of thing. So, you know, this thing is just sitting, you know, in my office looking at me, you know, like sort of like uh, cycling through, you know, Bitcoin information. So it gives me like the the, the block height and then it also does the price and, you know, we put some sales on it for ourselves because you can put your own API on it. Um, and it's like electromechanic digits. Uh, we actually sourced. So there is this one last company in the world that makes like professional digits. This guy's it's a company in Poland that makes digits for train stations. Yeah. Yeah, basically it's like the old train station and airplane. Uh, like yeah. A, so uh, I wanted, size, I wanted right? to use the flippy ones. Right. But I couldn't find a supplier that could make that in any affordable way. And nobody makes them anymore in, in mass quantity, right? Uh, so we settled for the, the seven-digit electromechanic one. And those actually are still used in some, in some places. Uh, they're rated for 250 million cycles. <clears throat> so it's going to take a little while uh, for them to... Uh, to wear off and uh so yeah it's just it's just nice to have this thing clicking away in my office you know and we found like a the we we did of course in our company aesthetics you know you can see the whole pcb says 10 years of bitcoin on it um and uh we we found like this this cool uh like there's this this framing shop that does frames for the art gallery the main art gallery of ontario and uh, we got them to, to make the frames and we put Plexi on it. And yeah, it's just nice object. And it's not cheap. No, it costs you get a, a lot, lot of shit for that. When you first released it, I think it cost a Bitcoin. That's right? true. That's true. Uh, I remember seeing it. I was like, this is the most badass thing ever. And then I clicked the link and I was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is the problem with Bitcoiners, right? It's time preference and <laughs> like fucking frugal crowd. It's amazing. And, uh, uh, we sold a few. Like there, there's quite a few out there. Uh, and we're gonna we're only making 500 of them forever like how, how many have you already made the 500 or no 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 we're we, we make them small batches uh how many are out already i don't know 50 100 something like that hey freaks go to tftc.io slash contribute and give us a bitcoin so we can buy a block clock thank you well now it's just now it's just half half a bitcoin it gets cheaper every day yeah. Yeah. exactly um, it, it's just unfortunately that project I can't really make it cheaper. Like it's just cost a lot of money to make. It. Yeah, it's a physical device. It's just one of those like flex projects. You know, you're just like, you're just flexing because you can. It's just cool. Yeah, like that's yeah. you know like, at some point I need to turn off the utilitarian mind. You know, like it's like I need like when Have I make fun. Exactly, just make something fun, right? Is this fun? Are you having fun? Are you more stressed out? Or are you more? Uh... I love it. See, I actually I get stressed out when the price go up. Yeah. That that sort of that's very uncomfortable. Especially when it goes up fast. Then you have to think about it. Yeah. Especially. I don't want to think about it. Right. I want to just like live. You know, like and I mean, you know, I I say to people, you know, like it's cool and all to stack the sets all the time, but like don't forget to live your life. Yeah. It's like. You know, you could get hit by a bus, I right? Mean, you know, like so. You know, so what is uh, what is living your life to you? What do you like to do outside of Bitcoin? Um, Obviously, I, radio I waves. Backcountry canoe, I hunt, I <coughs> shoot guns, uh, I barbecue a lot, <laughs> <laughs> I shit post. Is that Twitter? I guess I don't know. I've been really enjoying learning economics. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I have a baby, you know, yeah. 
baby things. You seem like you have it figured out. Your pictures when you're when you're paddling in your canoe, it's like, damn, it seems very peaceful. Yeah, I mean, <coughs> that's why I like I like keeping the business a little bit more like independent and stuff. Like, you know, it, it's nice to make more money. It's nice to do stuff, but like, at some point, you have to think about like the cost benefit of making more money too, because. Oftentimes, you can't have time and money at the same time, you know. Um, and I don't know. I just I like to simplify the life a bit, you know, not like making minimalist home and shit like that, but just sort of like try to like not have things in life that complicate your life. Um, yeah, <laughs> I can I can get down with that. And this is uh, this is something we got on topic last night when we were closing down that bar, but let's talk a little bit about your move from Brazil to, to Canada, if you're if you're comfortable with that. Yeah, so um, when I was uh, nine, 19, yeah, so I was looking at, like, I had my shares of, like, different schools and things like that, <laughs> and then I kind of finally got my, like, high school diploma, <laughs> and then, uh, and I did college at night when I was 15. Uh, really? Yeah, like school was not exactly working out for me, <laughs> so I then got an arts degree, um, and uh, um, I sort of like wanted to to go sort of study somewhere else in, in the world after that, and I kind of came to I I don't know for whatever reasons, multiple reasons, I ended up like going to Canada to uh, to do this college course there because it was interesting. Um, and then I sort of fell in love with the city and decided to stay. Uh, the college course turned out to be crap, uh, total crap. But I still needed the points to have enough points to apply for citizenship. Uh, applied for citizenship and sort of like never left. Do you ever think about going back to Brazil or? No. Uh. I, I love Brazil, but like it's, I don't know. It's just like the way my brain works and the way the culture there works just doesn't match. I, I like simple and complicated. <laughs> so you feel like you found a home. Yeah. Yeah. Although like, you know, the way the country's sort of going more like socialist and, and more like less freedom and stuff, it's very unsettling. So like where Brazil or Canada, Canada, yeah. um, Brazil's it, it's, just, it's mostly a function. It. I mean, like this is a country that's like an ex colony that sort of had the umbilical cord for too long. So like you never be sort of like, you know, a fuck you. We're getting out of this this deal, kind of deal, right? So, um, I don't know, but you know, I have family there now. My wife, my my kid. So like, <laughs> I'm not moving. <laughs> <laughs> she won't move. Yeah, it's uh, moving's never fun. Moving is probably my least enjoyable uh, activity in the world. I've moved many times in my life. Oh man, moving houses is just like, it's like borderline insanity. Like. Yeah, packing all the crap, and you know I have lots of tools and the whole lab in the bed. Jesus Christ! Just thinking about it like it stresses me. Out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not fun at all. Even if you move like three blocks away, it's especially not fun if that's the case. But let's bring this back to Bitcoin. Uh, a gentleman sitting to my right here, Matt O'Dell, is running a cold card demo in a few weeks here in New York City. Do you have any advice for him? Um, yeah, so. I'm going to try to come out there, say hi. Um, I, I think it's like just just empower 
people to sort of do this stuff themselves, you know, and, and like not, don't push complexity, really. It's like take people to the comfortable space. It's like one step at a time. Exactly. You know, like let them play with Bitcoin without going full sort of tinfoil, right? You get there. Everybody gets there. It's just don't, don't put them there. It's like trying to find the right balance of tinfoil. Exactly. Right. I mean, just just make sure they don't get robbed. There's there's a lot of people wanting to learn about cold cards. That thing sold out real quick. There's like some people who say like you're doing it wrong if you're not using like cubes. Like it's impossible for like the average person to ever use fucking cubes. Like that's a ridiculous I threshold mean, to set. Know, you know. It's, I I don't even like. I, I just ignore like that kind of stuff because you know it's completely unrealistic. Like, it's very easy to go you know on like Twitter and say oh you should do it that way. <laughs> Make the product that worked that way. I want to see it. <laughs> right? No, it's yeah. It's it's almost like a a weird humble brag from people when they're saying that shit. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's great. Like people should do means, it if they yeah, can. Yeah, great. But, but the average person is never going to do that. Unlikely. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't mean we shouldn't like teach people more exciting, sort of more complex stuff. But you know. People have limitations and people also have other shit in their lives. I mean, we are just in Bitcoin all the time. Right? Yeah. But like, you know, people have other stuff. You know, somebody has to like design airplanes. You know, they can't just shit post on Twitter all day about Bitcoin. Well, we definitely need more airplane designers because they're fucking up pretty bad these days. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Dude, I was... You, the, uh, the... I think we were talking about this last night. I don't remember if we were talking about this exactly, but... I think it was you but the the screens on the back of the seats like i flew american here to dallas and like you could tell like there was a cursor on the screen you could tell there's like some shitty software in there and oh. you're flying like 300 people through the air and like you can connect to that that device with a usb and it's like it just seems like the most hackable thing and like the oh, worst yeah no, i mean the I, worst design as for far as ever. i understand the entertainment system is fully separated. It's supposed to be, right? Exactly. But you never know, right? I mean, one guy there connects the wrong thing to the wrong thing, and then, like, yay, you know, you have full control of the airplane. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't somebody do that, though? Somebody used... Yeah, I think I think so. Somebody used one of those things just to, like, change, like, the temperature of the plane or something like that. Like, hacked into oh, it. You would, it wouldn't surprise me if the cabin stuff, like, the entertainment system and other cabin sort of environmental stuff is like together lighting and stuff like that yeah it probably is as long as like the flight control shit isn't, <laughs> yeah, exactly. isn't connected to it no and it's kind of crazy right because like planes now are so like complex and the airspace is so busy and stuff that like you know you really can't have humans flying planes anymore i mean a human doesn't fly a plane anymore it's all automated like for like quite some time uh, they have the pilots there, I guess, just to make everybody feel great. Just take off and land. And then look, I mean, you know, when the, the Max had the issue, you know, like the reality is, you know, the airlines chipping out on the education of the, pli the, the pilots or didn't buy the extra safety feature or whatever. And as soon as the pilot stick his greasy fingers on the, on the thing, it just poof. <laughs> no, it's uh, flying. Whenever I get on a flight, I just submit myself to the fact that I may die. You know, this could be the one. This and there's the nothing one. I can do about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. You just you gotta know, submit yourself. To planes it. are fucking safe. Like it's like crazy safe. Yeah. Like when you look at the statistic of this stuff, compared to like, cars and trains, it's insanely safe. Like, it, it, anyways, it's yeah. yeah. Sorry for fear mongering, freaks. 
<laughs> no, but I mean, it's one of the few situations in her life where you don't have control. You have like zero control. So even though it's it is extremely safe it's by the odds, it's like you you're in someone else's hands. You're completely you you're completely letting yourself into someone else's. Now, hands. If you think that that's bad, see, I don't think enough people put like like thinking into being in the highway. Like you're going at you know like 100 kilometers an hour, 60 right in uh, in in American. I drive too fast. Uh, you know, of course, more for some people, but you know, whatever. And like every imbecile who's like who you consider an imbecile is driving at the same speed as you. It's crazy. Very near you. No, and then I <laughs> and, just think about how survive. angry I get in a car, and then you, like I'm a very I do not like traffic or other drivers. You're literally road. trusting everybody else. Yeah, in it's the, the most ridiculous. Like if you think about it like now it's the most ridiculous mode of transportation like let's let's just have all these people in just trust them yeah, driving one ton yeah vehicles around yeah, and just I hope mean, that they don't fuck and if one person fucks it up it's not even that it's dangerous you could just have traffic for hours well, isn't you know? traffic accidents like the yeah. highest killing like thing that there is for yeah. humans it's like it's essentially like <laughs> like That's I, people concerned about guns and things like that. It's like no cars kill yeah <laughs> cars kill more people and then people are are concerned trolling about uh self-driving cars they're like oh we can't we can't go to a full self-driving car system because so many organ donations come from car accidents that we yeah we but drunk uncle, uncle joe can right like it's <laughs> <Yeah>. like <laughs> uh i hope we get to uh an autonomous self-driving car future i i think it won't you happen do for planes you got for do. a long time it's just like just think about like you know how like legislation for that stuff works and but I think we will see delivery. I think delivery will move into like autonomous, autonomous for sure. Yeah, like that to me is like where it's gonna go. And not even for the semi trucks on the highway and stuff like that. I'm talking about like Drones. Amazon. Yeah, like Amazon is gonna just and it's gonna be like like a, a small little car and it's gonna beep and you go outside and take it out of the thing. And, I see, like, Uber could be, like, a yeah. pretty big stepping stone. Especially if you have certain lanes and stuff that are just only autonomous. Because then everything gets, a lot, a lot of the the issues and the, the drawbacks get taken care of. If all of the vehicles in that It's going to be tricky in, like, cities that are dense and stuff. Like, But, you know, rural deliveries and things like that, I mean, it's pretty simple, I guess. Yeah. I don't know who it was. It was either FedEx or UPS, but, like, two days ago they came out and they've, they've been... They've been uh, uh, discreetly testing uh, in Arizona autonomous delivery vehicles, and it's supposedly been going really well. It's like kind of like green energies in a way. It's like it's very hard to tell when it's just a marketing <laughs> exercise, or right. you know. I guess like every time it's like if it has a PR angle to it, it's like you know that's probably not even the model that the engineers are working on. That's the one that fits bigger sticker. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So many problems to solve here, gentlemen. I know Bitcoin solves everything, right? <laughs> Lower that time preference. Be be car accidents may be the one thing Bitcoin can't solve. No, Bitcoin can solve that. How? You could take like Bitcoin security deposits, and you could take their Bitcoin if they get into a car accident. Or there you go. Like People drive. You have safer. a bond. You want to yeah. drive a car? You have a bond. If you ha if you get an accident, the person that you hit automatically gets the Bitcoin connected there you to your go. car. Oh, that problem solved. See, Bitcoin solves everything. <laughs> I want to pay people in Bitcoin to move out of my way when there's traffic. Why not? That right? would be I mean, badass. I mean, that would be like amazing. Like yeah. just creating an economy on the highway like that. 
Could you imagine the bidding that would go on for that? That would be exp- yeah, that would get like blade level expensive at some point. But see, if you're a Bitcoiner, you don't have a pro- you don't have you don't want to get anywhere because of the amount of fucking good episodes on podcast that you're gonna hear <laughs> on your car. So like seriously. It's like this thing is eating my life. So like you know, you're gonna you're gonna sit in the car and, and you're gonna earn sats. To listen to podcasts and get out of the way of other people. Maybe that is the solution. Maybe maybe people are better, That's more patient That's the Uber drivers. of the future. You just go by yourself and like, hey, I'm going to hold up traffic and you assholes have to pay me to move. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the car is the best place to listen to podcasts and audiobooks. It's amazing. I need to uh, upgrade my car because I'm still riding on analog radio. No, but it's I like I actually like when I listen to podcasts in the car, I like having one earbud in. Yeah. I think it's it's a better experience and have it come through the speakers really yeah, yeah the speakers suck at voice i mean yeah, unless they're you have good a fancy, for music unless you have like a fancy car stereo like the speakers are not great for voice it's interesting never knew that yeah because i've been actually i started i've been commuting by car a lot more lately and that's how i always do my podcast it's always one earbud in my in my ear does it make the drive go faster and you're more patient. You're enjoying the drive more. You know, you're. But I think you're probably a better driver when you have when you're listening to a nice a nice Bitcoin podcast, or when you're tweeting. No, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, don't tweet and drive, people. Please do not tweet and drive. That's actually one thing that really pisses me off when I see people texting, like on the road, and you're going 80 miles an hour. It's like, please stop. Um. So yeah, when are you guys coming to visit Canada? Well, I was there a few weeks ago. Really? In Montreal. Uh, Montreal. Um, I do need to get to Toronto. That was my first time yeah, in Canada. Come by Toronto. Let's go have steak. Uh, I would love to. Let's All uh, the Bitcoiners come by. We go for Maybe steak. we should do a Toronto live show. I'd be down. There you go. I think we can get some people to go to that. How's the Bitcoin community in Toronto? So Toronto had a very old Bitcoin community there. A uh, lot of Bitcoiners there. Uh, and then Ethereum happened. Yeah, they're all shit corners. Didn't Anthony yeah. the Oreo buy like the tallest building or something like that? I think he bought a penthouse. A yeah. penthouse, that's yeah. what. So like the the early Ethereum people really made it like good chunk of cash, uh, but they so we used to have a Bitcoin Dev meetup uh, in Toronto like back before Ethereum existed. I think it's like very early days, uh, and then we started getting shit corners coming in to try to peddle their stuff, and then we just stopped it. That's why everybody needs to adopt the BitDevs model of Bitcoin meetups and just have no mercy for shitcoinery. No, because no our meetups were kind of like not very... Uh, so the way we ran it was I'd buy a few uh, cases of beer, put it on the room, and then people come. And then we ask if anybody had a project they wanted to show, they could show the project. And then we would essentially just sort of like have like people just in kind of like standing circles sort of talking about stuff and arguing about bitcoin stuff or economics uh so it was a very easy to get infected by shitcoiners trying to push their crap because we were not controlling who's coming or that kind of stuff mm-hmm. yeah no it's hard well the way BitDevs does it is it's like socratic style. yeah yeah um so like if someone asks a question that's obviously shitcoin focused then they get ostracized Right. <laughs> and also what I like about BitDevs is they also have beer, which is great. It's like a nice, relaxing environment. Yeah. And uh, and they have no photos. I think yeah. that's it's super underrated that that I think, you if know, somebody I think pulls out their phone, take a picture of BitDevs. They get I want to have scolded. a I want to have a Bitcoin conference that there's no photos. Oh, Bitcoin. Uh, like uh, breaking Bitcoin is like that. It's, really? Yeah. You can't take unless you have permission from the person. 
like you can't take crowd photos or things like that. I think that should be more common because I always feel self-conscious when I'm at these conferences and then I keep getting hit on camera and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, some woman was just taking like a I just tweeted a picture of you. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> Kitty. Rodolfo is part of the problem. We're all part of the problem. You know, I, I kind of, yeah, I mean, the privacy stuff, unfortunately, I didn't think Bitcoin was going to happen this much. <laughs> uh, so I kind of like doxed myself in the early days and sort of. You're going to have to shave your beard. Yeah. It's always yeah, the bear market. You know, all the podcasts use the like picture of me from like, I don't know, like 10 years ago. They're like, I'm like looking like like a decent person. <laughs> It's kind of weird. Hey, don't tell yourself short. You look pretty decent right now. I it's know. Good but like, Yeah. So it's, I guess it's kind of good. Yes, please keep on using that picture. And I'll slowly get older and have a bigger beard. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of beards, mine's growing here. We've been here for almost an hour and a half, gentlemen. Is there anything else that you want to touch on in particular, Matt? I mean, I'm ready to eat some lunch. Yeah, so I'm pretty hungry. I'd be I'm starving, down to too. We're up. all hungover and hangry. Yes, that's... Uh, do you have a parting note you want to Actually, you know what? Am I doing fasting today? Uh, maybe. Maybe. Maybe I'll wait for dinner. We'll see. Do you have a, a parting note for the freaks out there? Anything you want to say? Anything you want to shill? Anything? Um, any wisdom you want to impart? No, I mean, like, you know, you guys do a great job podcasting. And I, I think it's... it's I, I don't think it's under underappreciated anymore. But I think... Education is like a huge, huge part of developing a new system. Um, and like podcasts that sort of like take the time and sort of like introduce the concepts and things to people are great. Uh, and, and it's nice that a lot of the podcasters have a lot of integrity and don't bring shit coiners or like things that validate or could be perceived as validation. Um, so like you know like thanks for educating people yeah well thank you that was unexpected compliment and thank you for building stuff that we can actually talk about on this podcast yeah thank you very much and also on that note we do if you go to our youtube uh channel we have a wasabi plus cold card demonstration uh, oh that video was great one take yeah no that that video was fantastic i mean keep on making those videos because every time somebody asks the same question for the I know, right? A hundredth time, I just I, I just normally send them a link to our TFM, and then I, I send a link to one of the videos that somebody made that's good for the topic. Yeah, it's actually on the horizon for TFTC, more quote-unquote evergreen content that we can point people to. Guides and videos and, and written guides and classes and courses and yeah. just all the above. And, you know, whenever you guys need hardware, just let us know, you know, if you're if you're making educational material for us you get free hardware i mean like <laughs> and you. and uh we might have like a like a a pseudo affiliate thing where we might be able to at least like give educators or something like some money back for sending people away or something i feel like people need to get paid yeah i, I mean want a cold card membership so that they just get new hardware gets shipped to my house you know uh, that's not a bad idea maybe isn't a maybe bad we're idea gonna work out on that uh that's i would pay up front every year for that that's that's really not a bad idea uh and you know we can send like some of the other stuff we make and maybe the micro sds and all that yeah it's a nice incentive alignment yeah no i i like that and and then we have like some like expectation too of like what kind of revenue we're gonna get so it's a lot easier to plan that way uh because harder is like totally up front right you have to literally pay for production you have to buy the parts some parts like six months in advance before you even manufacturing 
to then put it for sale. This is, so it's like it's very upfront capital heavy. Yeah, that's a very extended timeline too. Yeah, it seems. Yeah. Well, thank you for building all the dope shit that you have, and we'll continue to build. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks for sitting down. This is. Uh, I don't think we can stand up hangovers. We are. <laughs> <laughs> this was awesome. I had such a good this. I was looking forward to this conversation. It's great to finally meet you too. I know, right? It's like finally meeting in person is right. great, and you're uh, just as hilarious and awesome in person as I expected. <laughs> Peace and love, freaks. Stay humble, stack sets.